job where we were co-workers fellow trainees yes yes and um funny how life turns out we circle back and i noticed ashley on her sister soldier on social media you know so i feel like in this climate i had to recruit someone that's really passionate about what's going on in today's climate and i thought she'll be the perfect guest for this Yes, I am so honored to be your first guest. I definitely am passionate about the things that I'm assuming this podcast will be about. So thank you for having me. Not a problem. So first thing first, I really want to get into this is, of course, as we are recording this episode, next week is the presidential election. Mm -hmm. Um, I know they do this every four years, but it definitely feels like one of the more important elections in recent history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, in regards to the black vote, as we are speaking about today, we all know historically black votes have been an obstacle to climb. Um, going back for the days of what they call even black codes or black laws, mm-hmm. where there were laws where you couldn't basically it was a way to govern freed slaves. So they went and influenced slaves in the South. And one of those things was prohibiting them from voting the right to bear arms, even to learn how to read and write. Um, From that to the 15th Amendment, where it says the rights of voters shall not be denied on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude, they still had to, they, me in the United States, us, had to use the Enforcement Acts to basically increase penalties for voter intimidation, which seems like it's still a reoccurring thing now, but we're going to get into that. Yeah. To fast forward into the Jim Crow laws, where a certain party, which makes things ironic, uh, was a huge factor in disfranchising black voters and make sure there wasn't no wasn't any economic gain. Um, we're going to talk about that more as well. And even to the civil rights movement, where black voting activists Harriet Moore and Harry T. Moore were assassinated by the KKK in 1951 by the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. So. Here we are in 2020, where it seems to be a resurgence of many things that I just read about. Yeah. Uh, one of the resurgence is supremacy, white supremacy. Um, so I'm going to pass the mic over to Ashley. And first thing first, when you think about this climate in today's election, do you feel like it really is one of the more important elections we had in recent memory? Yeah, definitely. Like even um the Democratic Party with this election, I don't know about you, but they I'm getting mail every day. I I've been voting since what, twenty sixteen? Mm-hmm. I have never remembered um I mean I could have voted before twenty sixteen, I wasn't interested. But <laughs> <laughs> when I did um, you know, become more knowledgeable about it and my role in voting I have not had like this much um, kind of targeting, this much, you know, pressure 
um, too vocal. So they are definitely being a lot more aggressive. Um, there are definitely a lot more, um, whether it's podcasts or, you know, people who have a platform speaking out about um, who to vote for, who not to vote for, what we should be asking for. Um, so, yeah, I definitely would agree that it is um, one of the more important elections where um, they're really hitting for people to vote. Yes, that's true. And you you, are, you really hit the nail on the head because uh, phone calls, text messages. Yeah. Um, I never seen this much effort. Um, and actually, um, as you probably didn't notice, but of course, we're both both grew up in South Carolina, particularly the Charleston mm-hmm. area. I'm actually located mm-hmm. in North Carolina now. Um, oh, I, OK. Yeah. Um, but I actually am. That, that's you know, that's no one's going to judge me. They bet not. I'm still registered to vote in, you know, South Carolina, so I will be voting in South Carolina. But um, that is true. Even commercials are being very direct. You see a lot of celebrities, entertainers, even the NBA who are transforming certain stadiums to polling centers. Like it's just a huge upstick when it comes to the urgency. Um, And you kind of already answered this first question I have for you, but I'm going to um, ask it anyway. You mentioned 2016. I was going to ask you, mm-hmm. when did you first vote and when did you take it seriously? That's the same thing. Yeah. Um, so we are millennials. And I think, um, I mean, many other people probably voted before at 18. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I didn't really have much of a um, interest in in politics at all around that time. Mm-hmm. But um, so Obama was the first president I voted for. And that's what kind of sparked the me understanding voting and wanting to be a part of it. Um, and then ever since then, of course, my knowledge in about politics grew. Um, I think I had an interest before actually voting for Obama um, in politics. I, I got more curious about it. But um, I'm the type of person like if I don't understand something, I'm really not going to do it. Like even at my jobs and like that, like you really have to make sure I understand it before I just do whatever you're asking me to do. Correct. Yeah, I get that. And that was actually in 2008. And that was the first time I actually uh, registered to vote as well. Um, that would that seemed to be a huge moment, especially when the first candidate you actually voted for actually wins. Mm-hmm. And as a historical standpoint, I remember how it felt. Um, I was actually a student at France Marine University in Florence, South Carolina, and I actually shook his hand in Florence, South Carolina. And he was running against Hillary. Oh. So it was definitely an experience. Cool. Yeah. Um, but I want to ask this too, because I, I think some people have similar backgrounds, but I do want to ask mm-hmm. this. How was voting positioned to you in your household growing up? So my household, um, it wasn't, it wasn't really positioned to me at all. Like, I don't remember, I think I really aspired like my mom to vote. Um, I'm trying to think of who else I felt like they should have been more um, active in it. But I really heard about voting from like community elders or people around me. If I worked at a job and it was an older or elderly woman, woman who, you know, was doing it or um, talking about it. But in my actual home, no, I don't I can't remember ever like like how I'm doing with my kids. Like now I take my kids um, voting. They stand in the line with me and they see me. Um, you know, we get the, we look at the candidates, um, you know, and I'm talking to them about the candidates when their teacher brings up something and about social studies in class, like I'm talking to them. So they, they already have an idea versus with me growing up. 
I don't ever remember. I don't have any memory of um, talking about it in my house at all. Mm. I think the only memory I probably have about anything about politics growing up was um, what was it? It was like when the gas prices went down to like a dollar or 75 cents or something. (laughs) And it was like this big. (laughs) It was we were in a recession. And that was the only thing I remember my mom saying about like Bush. Like that was that was it. Like I always knew presidents and who they were and I knew things from school, but I don't remember my mom talking about it at all. Got it. Got it. And I think that's a good segue. I'm not going to go into it yet, but I Mm -hmm. think that might be based on the attitude of many black Americans where Mm -hmm. we felt like the vote doesn't necessarily impact us in a way that we feel like we wanted Mm -hmm. to or need to. Um, Speaking for me personally, I actually was in a household that was into voting. My mom was huge in the vote, voting, but everything was mostly democratic, to be honest. Yeah. She didn't force it on me, but it was kind of like implied that, hey, look, democratic is for us. Republicans yeah. are not. It was a whole different um, vibe. And even yeah. as a kid, what our school did, <laughs> they actually had like these little invitation polls. So when my mother went to vote in like the local election, they had like a poll for the kids to imitate wow. the vote. Yep, none of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm glad we actually you actually mentioned that because we definitely are going to to get into it. So you, I know your thought process and voting has evolved since then. Mm-hmm. I know both of us has. Um, mm-hmm. I noticed that you have been going into town halls actually. Um, mm-hmm. What I know you told it to me on Instagram before the viewers out there. What really sparked you to be more socially aware? Yeah, um, I'll say as far as my social awareness now, it was my um, grad school experience. So um, in undergrad, well, I determined I decided to become a social worker. So I um, got my undergrad in social work, my bachelor's in social work, sorry, and then um, went to grad school. And I had this um, really dynamic diversity teacher, Dr. Brittany Bryant, um, who is um, local to Charleston area. Uh, she was just phenomenal in how she just kind of broke down what it means to identify yourself as a black person, not specifically black, but that's what I focused on. Um, but just um, that particular course just opened your mind to so many different um, injustices or this, you know, discrimination, social justice type topics. Um, so I would say like she kind of like that kind of sparked my passion more and more for policy change and lawmaking change. Um, but even before grad school with in my um, journey to becoming a social worker and my reasoning behind wanting to become a social worker was to fight poverty and to join and to figure out like what's causing poverty. Why, why are black people or people of color um, so impoverished and what affects that? Um, I, just to give you like a quick story. I remember um, when I, so right now my job, I'm a, I work for the state as a guardian of litem, which is a child advocate. Mm-hmm. But at the time in undergrad, I was volunteering for to become a child advocate. And um, I was in Berkeley County and they have they're right next door to the sheriff's office. And so she pretty much took me on a, cho- uh, a tour um, in the sheriff's office and they were talking. And um, I don't know what happened, but we pretty much passed like the um, kind of like the evidence room. And there was like a pile of money. And she asked him, like, you know, what happened to that pile of money? And, you know, he explained this was years ago. He explained to us, like, um, 
it was drug money and that after a certain time or if they're sentenced and that money goes into buying more guns for police, more police cars and um, armor type of deal. So I asked him, I said, well, who decided that? Like if if um, drug money or saying drugs is what's causing all the problems in the community, how come that money isn't going back into the community? How come it's not going into the schools? And it was like, you know, it was a good bit of money. It was like stacks of money. And so um, I started paying attention to like all these drug busts that would happen in the news. And, you know, you see all the money and all the drugs that they're collecting. And I'm like, okay, so pretty much all that money is just extra money for the law, for law enforcement. Mm -hmm. It's no money going into like rebuilding schools, rebuilding homes or, you know, anything like anything for the community. So things like that started to like make me curious and started to like trace you know where does money go how does money affect you know homelessness or evictions or you know again poverty because that was my passion at the time like trying to figure out how do I even begin to want to fight poverty um so yeah so then that that led me to grad school and um that particular course is what kind of kept me going Mm. and shout out that teacher one more time for me her name is Dr. Brittany Bryan um she actually is on Instagram at um, Dr. Brittany Speaks, I think. That's what I'm talking about. Inspiring the youth. <laughs> Inspiring yeah. the youth. That's, that's, that's actually, um, awesome because the reason why I want to include this in a generation curse podcast is I do feel like that is a generation curse in a sense. <laughs> Miss, misusing the vote, if that makes sense, because I think the black vote, well, I know the black vote has always been pivotal in the United States specifically. But when you think about how the campaigns became an emotional, um, emotional decision of sorts mm-hmm. and not more so of really analyzing, like, can this candidate really do something for me or holding them accountable after they're in office? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have gotten discouraged to the point that they feel like voting is a joke. And even when they talk about voting, it's always narrowed down to the presidential election, not really paying attention that local elections are very pivotal to your everyday life in your state and in your counties. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I really started to notice that when you see, even though it's always been there, like police brutality cases where you see the unfair legislation against a, a certain group of people, clearly. And you're looking at like, well, who who makes those decisions? And yeah. you think about the judges, the, the chief of police, and even we're gonna be very honest here. You know, being from South Carolina, we think about our roads, like <laughs> the roads of South Carolina, yeah. and how are we earning so much money, especially in the Charleston area, that's always the number one most rated tourist attraction, apparently. But mm-hmm. our roads are terrible, <laughs> and. To have Clemson as one of the top colleges and mm-hmm. you have Columbia and you, you know, the game costs like this so on where South Carolina should be bigger than what it is economically. Yeah. Yeah. We can't yeah. take care of our infrastructure. And you think about, well, what's the difference? And I think when you're in a state that's not a battleground state, it is very easy to be discouraged. Like what our vote really goes to. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead. 
Um, I think that's very important. What you were saying is that um, I think people don't see us as like one of the see Charleston, South Carolina or South Carolina in general as like one of it's almost like it's assumed which which way we're going to go. Um, but I love how like I feel like what you're getting to is um, when you said the presidential election and then trickling down to the local election because we we turn out for the presidential for the most part. Um, but our local elections is, is very little turnout. But then you think about when Trump was in office, it was pretty much the electoral college that got him in office the first time. And our state representative um, is, is Tim Scott. So it's, it's almost like you said, if we're voting for a particular person locally. And he's who represents us on a state level. Mm-hmm. At, at times, he's going to be the one to get the determined to represent our entire state for the nation. And if he's not voting how we want him, you know, the way that we expect him to vote or the way that we're all voting. So South Carolina's, you know, we're saying, no, we're voting for Hillary. But then he goes and gives Trump the entire state votes. And, you know, it's, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's kind of like that kind of parallel where you're seeing um, it trickle down from the presidential to the local, because if we're not if we're allowing just anybody to represent us on a local level, then it, it impacts us on the national level. Correct. And not only that, but. Let's let's be honest. With the president, with the with the president, of course, the president has executive orders, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But they ultimately have to go to the House of Representatives, Congress. You know everything mm-hmm. that we learned from um, what was that cartoon back in the day? <laughs> Bill something. What is? I just thought about it. Schoolhouse Rock. I can't. Yeah. Schoolhouse Rock. So the bills the law. There you go. But when you hear, and we're gonna speak in real millennial terms. <laughs> okay. South, South Carolina is whack. The pay in South Carolina sucks. That's why I'm moving oh, yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. Bruh, for, this is the second time I hit a pothole and I got to get better <laughs> tires. So you think of these, I know it sounds crazy, right? But as millennials, no. we try to better ourselves if we can. We were like, you know what? This place is whack. Well, why is this place whack? Now you have to mm-hmm. think about the big picture. And the big picture is locally, they don't get a, a large forum like the presidential election. But yeah. locally, you have to answer. Someone has to answer to that. And that's where your yeah. right to vote comes in, especially in counties like I'm I'm in a, I'm still registered to vote in the Berkeley County area. So yeah. that area is very easy to access those leadership and really question them. And yeah. I think a lot of reasons why the black folk, I, I mean, of course, if it's, if it's not emotional, the reason why it's not strategic is because we don't know how to act for a plan. We want people mm-hmm. to do for us, but what do you expect them to do? They say, yeah, I'll, I'll look out for black people. And you say that, but then it's like, we hold like, well, you didn't do anything for us, but what do we ask for? We can't really go down yeah. a list and say they, they didn't do this. They didn't do that. So. It seems for what I'm hearing now that you understand how important the vo- uh, voting is. So I have to ask you, what makes an, a voter an educated voter? Like what is a good process to really dive in to understand what's the mm-hmm. best candidate for them? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so earlier you brought up how I was going to, you know, town halls and listening to politicians and things like that. And um, that that was pretty much like what got me riled up about different laws that were passed um, on a local level, um, because that's where we have the most access. And 
Um, trust me, like when I first went out to hear them speak, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't want to ask a question or speak. But like how we see these videos um, that kind of go viral, I would hear speak, people speak and I would hear how blunt they are, mm-hmm. you know, how radical they are about just demanding, treating them like you are an employee, you work for the people and um, you redemand answers. And that's the part of holding them accountable. But like you said, as far as knowing what to ask for, um, that's important also because you have to know what's important. So like for you, for you saying, um, the roads are a big, a major issue, especially with this being a tourist state. And then for me, especially as a mother, my biggest thing would probably be education and how that impact. And that, and you know, all of these things impact all of us as a community or as a whole. So it does require like a level of pri- prioritizing things and, um, pretty much getting the numbers together. So the when I go to um, those town hall meetings, the biggest thing they tell you, the reason why like the teachers union or not union is, I, th- I think South Carolina doesn't have a union per se, but they're organized enough to where, you know, they all wear red shirts. They all go down to Columbia um, on those, you know, and testify and sit together and they're noticeable. So when, uh, when you're in these politicians face and they see the numbers and they see that you're in their county and that's what they'll tell you at every meeting. Let them know you live in their county so that, you know, that's losing your vote. Um, so that's like the biggest way to kind of um, get their attention. But to answer your question, I think um, when we look at from this on the state level, if you look at um, the town hall meetings online, you can go to the state website. You can actually see how these politicians are voting. So, for instance, you talk about the money. I, I'm a state employee. When the politi- when certain politicians came to talk to my school um, as up and coming social workers, one of the what, another state employee she asked, she said, you know, we can go right on the border of North Carolina, South Carolina, you know, be employed doing the same exact job and make twenty thousand dollars more. So we're losing our essential workers. We're losing our um, DSS workers, our teachers to Georgia and North Carolina, which are our border, our neighboring states, because they can we can live right across and pay get paid way more. Whereas South Carolina, y'all not even giving us raises on a regular basis. You best believe we that was they had the budget, they had the state budget meeting like probably a month after that. And the ticket for giving South Carolina state employees, it was only a two percent raise. But it was a raise. It was like the first raise and with like within like a couple of um within like five years they had the South Carolina state employees hadn't had a raise within five years. And then um I know that everybody's pretty much aware of or most people are aware of teachers and how how much they fight to get their raises and they're getting their um either three percent raises or their um what is it called? smaller class sizes because they're organized and they're fighting. So even when that budget happened, you can look at the videos on the town hall meetings and you can see, did your politician vote the way that did you, did they vote for state employees to get a raise or did they decline it? Did they vote for teachers to get smaller classrooms? So that way, you know exactly who, if you live in that, that politicians or that, um, let me stop saying politicians, that representative or that state senator's district or that area, you can come email them directly and, you know, call them out about what they how they voted. So that way they can't hide behind. Oh, we're going to make a plan for this and that. No, I saw what you voted for. You're not you're not for me and me getting a higher pay raise. You're not for me and my child having a better um, educational or textbook. You know, that type of thing. So 
knowing who your knowing knowing who your politician is first of all knowing what area you live in and then knowing how they vote and the issues that they are pushing when they go to these um state meetings is the biggest um for me the biggest thing to become educated about who you vote for well said and just to add a resource in there because for the ones that maybe they're, they don't want to be in the front lines or maybe they don't mm-hmm. they feel a little bit apprehensive initially with attacking it head on. They also mm-hmm. have a website called Validpedia, um, mm-hmm. where similar to Wikipedia, right? So Validpedia, not only does it have, it presents the ballot for where you're voting from, but it also gives them the breakdown of how each candidate feels on certain topics and questions. Exactly. And I think as well as who they're getting funding from, I think ballots, um, Ballotpedia does. Um, there's this particular search option on there where they can um, you can see like different health or pharmacological um, agencies that are funding different politicians. Yep. I'm and that's why that. they're voting the way that. I'm sorry. Yep. I'm looking at it right now. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. So like when you see who they're funded by um, and because that's what's pushing their votes, you know, and, um, and how they're going to vote is they have to make up for that money. That's true. And I think there's hope in that because generation wise with social media around, it's fairly mm-hmm. easy to get that access. Our ancestors didn't have that same um, privilege yes. because, you know, the media controlling the narrative, you're only going to know what's being heard of. Um, Absolutely. So with that being said, you're right. With you, you provided great examples of how to be more informed because I think an educated vote is important. Um, the whole voter die campaign that we've had before and even now, that's all, that's all, you know, that's cool to have a catchy phrase to it. But yeah. these celebrities and entertainers, they can't speak for you when it comes to what's going yes. on in your counties and your communities. Um, exactly. And to quote Dick Gregory, the late Dick Gregory, he said, an entertainer never liberated anybody. So. Right. Like, I don't I'm really not the biggest. Um, I can't follow these celebrities, especially when it comes to voting, because like, just like he said, like they're not. They may be black or they may, you know, be they may look like me or came from where I came from at a point in time. But you're in a whole different tax bracket, sir or ma'am. Like you don't have the same level of problems that I have. And then you can pay for somebody else to deal with these problems. So how you vote and how I vote or your what's important to you isn't going to be the same thing. Correct. And. And it's, it's unfortunate because a lot of these entertainers, they have so much influence, especially with the younger mm-hmm. generation. So if they're saying this is the person to vote for, they're probably going yeah. to blindly vote for them. Or if you have someone that they look up to that says voting is not the way to go, it's worthless. Unfortunately, they're going to base it off that, too. Now, also, you have these memes being yeah. shared and it's like a sheep effect, right, where it's like they're just following the quote unquote shepherd, but the shepherd is not really a shepherd for the people. So who are you really following? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like that for, for young people and parents. Like we see this, um, I don't know what the new generation called um, Z or X or sorry. Yeah, I don't know. The, the TikTokers. It's too, many, it's too many alphabets going on around. I don't right. want to get in trouble with my first podcast. <laughs> the ones who do the TikTok, like you see them like going, going off on their parents and like, but like you said, it's because of social, they're being informed 
from their friends or their friends, you know, it's, it's more, it's more out of why, you know, people that their friends, their black friends in their class are, you know, saying one thing, they're hearing it from their parents, the black children, they're hearing it from their parents, and then they can articulate that. So I think even though uh, celebrities have a big influence, um, I think parents also have a big influence in how they talk. So like, like I said with me earlier, I didn't have, I, I knew celebrities, but I didn't really hear or it didn't stick out to me what they would say if they said anything about voting or politicians or anything like elections because it wasn't a conversation in my home. So I didn't even know to, I, those two words didn't stick out to me. But now like my, my daughter, because she hears me talk about it so often when she hears like certain celebrities say it or somebody in her class bringing it up. She she's like she's going to bring the conversation back to me because I'm talking about it. So I think um, people who have children, they're just as they have a great influence as well. Um, but it is a celebrities do play a big role in that. Correct. And, and it goes both ways. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to just criticize. The criticism goes both ways. Right. Because you have someone as a popular example. Right. Anytime there's a post on Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan opening like a facility in Charlotte, which I think he just did recently. um, You're going to see comments saying that, oh, well, that's all. Why they donate Mm -hmm. more? Why didn't he do this? And it's like, um, number one, he he got famous playing playing basketball. I, I think he has the right to do or not do whatever he wants as long as it pertains to basketball. Your expectations mm-hmm. shouldn't be higher than your actual local representatives that's being paid right. to actually handle your community. Exactly. Um, but I think that's why they pander to the black vote a lot in that way where they they target our celebrities or the voices of the people who they feel like we listen to the most because they know this is who made who makes it popping for us so whether it's jordan or you know um beyonce or whoever like i think um even puff daddy at one time he was the one that did the vote or die wasn't he he was and back in i think it was al gore and bush yeah so like i think like you said they target those celebrities particularly because they know that that's what we find interesting. They're, they're what is a part of what makes our culture. And so the politicians are going to target for them to campaign for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, it goes both ways for the parents or for the community as a whole. Like we can't put our, they can't be our savior just because we like what they offer us, whether it's their talent or, you know, their product or whatever, they don't make decisions for what goes on around our community. Right. And that pandering to celebrities, as you mentioned, has been going on for quite some time. You had Bill Clinton playing his saxophone, I think, at the Arsenio Hall show. You've had Cardi B interview Bernie Sanders. I mean, even when Obama was making a run, you had Kerry Washington and Chris Tucker come to my college to speak. Um, So that's always and that's been both sides. Right. And yeah, and I get it. You know, it's politics. How can we reach out to the youth vote or the casual votes? Yeah. Oh, someone is familiar, which is a perfect segue to the most popular celebrity when it comes to this election at this moment. <laughs> and that's Mr. N.W.A. himself. Mr. Are You yeah. There Yet? Mr. Friday Ice Cube. Mm-hmm. So before I give my two cents, well, let me just set the narrative real quick, right? And then I'll let yeah. you share your opinion. So unless you've been living under a huge rock, um, Ice Cube had 
comprised with help um, from other experts, apparently a contract with Black America, which was this huge blueprint on what the Black community would benefit from with whoever is the winning candidate. Ice Cube has been pushing this contract for quite some time, actually, for, a couple, for the past, maybe, just, I mean, maybe around George Floyd, not too long after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember he's been on Roland Martin's show. He was on CNN. He was doing a whole press tour of this. So apparently, how everything just went straight left field is a campaign advisor from Trump's administration, I guess, gave Ice Cube a shout out. Yeah. That was an emotional reaction, but it was a reaction, of course, because at this mm-hmm. point, you know, it's getting, getting tight. So Ice Cube just basically cleared the air and said, hey, I put up the contract of Black America and both sides contacted me about the contract. Um, apparently, according to Ice Cube, the Democratic, well, Joe Biden's campaign, they said that we like 85 percent of what's in the contract, but we will get in contact with you further about it after the election. Apparently, Trump's campaign, um, they actually decided to meet with him. Now, Ice Cube said several times he hasn't met Donald Trump a day in his life. So he actually didn't meet with Trump. He did meet with campaign representatives. Um, and at this point, Biden had the left every voice plan. And I believe Trump's campaign had the platinum plan. Why is it called the platinum plan? Because of rap albums, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But we go, you know, and Biden lift every voice, which is like, you know, go, hey, whatever, hey, you, you, whatever. We go, we go go back to that. Anyway, (laughs) um, so apparently after that, they updated the Trump campaign to the actual platinum plan. So Ice Cube just stated what happened. He became under a firestorm because at this point, like how it always been historically. Democrats, black people, they go hand in hand. That's the stigma of it. So mm-hmm. for people, of course, who doesn't want Trump to be reelected, they feel like this hurts hurting the chances um, of Biden's vote because he's the adversary, of course. And he feels like he's being being used, different criticism being thrown out there. But that's the gist of what happened. When you heard about the ice cube situation, what was your darts? Um, I think you provided some really good context. Um, some of the things like I wasn't confirmed, like I didn't confirm about because I think um, I see it. I well, I, my initial thought was the Kanye thing. It was kind of like that kind of notion, like mm-hmm. or yeah. not even just Kanye. Like even when Trump when he first got elected, um, what was the girl name? Chris. Chrisette uh, Michelle, I think her name is. Oh, I remember that. Um, yeah, like it's in and, and, and Steve Hart, like all of these celebrities, and it's also and it's all this rhetoric about I'm just getting in the door, or you know, we need to talk to them, and it's just like we don't need to like talk to them. They're not, they're not listening. He is who he is. That type. So that was my initial um, kind of feelings about it. It's like I don't have nothing to say to this man. He he the way that he has ran the the nation for the past four years, the things he said before he ran the nation, before he as when he was the apprentice or whoever he was like, I don't there's I don't have any respect for him as a person, let alone as a president. So I'm not going to trust him or his campaign for whatever, whatever they say. He lies a lot. He lies all the time. So I don't I feel like that's where 
my views are for Trump, but for Ice Cube and for other celebrities with this whole, we just need somebody to listen or give us what we're asking for or demanding for. Yes, black people do need a plan. Yes, we need to have a particular agenda. Um, and I don't know how I, I didn't have as much context as um, what you stated about how long he's been doing it or what the plan was before, you know, as like, did it grow or change or what specifically was, um, was he asking for in the plan? Um, but again, it's like, I, I wouldn't trust Trump to, or his campaign to cater to the black vote. Like it's, ain't it's an election year. Of course they want to listen to you right now. If you've been doing this all before, like, of course they're listening to you now and you're a person of influence. So I just don't trust it. Got it. Um, and also for the viewers out there, his contract, the, the a contract with Black America is actually is listed on the website. is contract with Black America dot US. Mm-hmm. Um, a very comprehensive plan, by might I add. I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. Um, what are the main points that stick out for you in his plan? Well, he does have it broken down in sections. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that he has, because he this, well, I'll show you. I'll tell you what this the actual top subjects are like he has a section for representation lending reform federal re- federal funding federal reserve finance oversight data and credit prison reform judicial reform police reform act fcc licensing confederate institutions the ag ag ah, ajp program and black responsibility mm-hmm. one of the things that i actually thought was um was interesting was that the bank lender reform that he that was mentioned in the plan is where he's want to regulate and require banks to lend a percentage of all loan and credit categories on an equal basis to the black population on bank on bank serves. They said he wants the minimum threshold yearly met yearly meet of a percentage equal to a national black population. So the percentage will be based on the black population on what the bank lender reform and how they will disperse the actual um, money into the communities. So mm-hmm. that was one of the things that stood out to me was the bank lending reform yeah. that he had. Um, another thing was the actual federal funding. Um, he basically was asking for providing every child with a government-funded trust account at birth, starting with a $1,000 contribution. And every black child? Every child? It says every child on context. Now, it says contract of black America, right? But it does Mm -hmm. say, you know, that's a good question. That's that's how they, that's how they be tripping us up. Right. That's what, um, Andrew Yang did. Right. Cause he had the whole, um, universal. Everybody, everybody get 200 a month. Right. And, I thought those was interesting, right? And one thing that Ice Cube said, because when I first heard about it, here, okay, here's my first reaction. I'll, I'll, I'll start there. Mm-hmm. When I first heard about it, right, I know being an OG in the social media game, everything is not what they seem. Yeah. But my reaction was, the timing of this is awful. Mm-hmm. That's my first reaction. And my second reaction was like, you know what? Ice Cube has not been shy about speaking out against certain injustices. And it has to be more to this story. That's what yeah. I said. 
So I kind of really dug down and heard the narrative and Ice Cube has been doing a lot of interviews about this. And from my understanding, I'm like, okay, well, he never endorsed Trump. He never endorsed Biden. He said, I have a contract and this is what the reaction, this is what the response was after speaking with them. Um, So I think that's when it kind of turned left. I think people are still believing that he endorsed someone. And he ice cube said, I didn't go to them. They reached out to me on this contract. This contract was around since the, you know, around George Floyd. He said, I wouldn't do it earlier. That was my question. Like, why now? Why didn't he do this in that whole four years? And he did say, well, I started the big three tournament, which he did, which that huge basketball tournament he started doing. So he said he didn't have the time to really put in, but I didn't write the contract myself. I've reached out to people that were experts to help me create a comprehensive list. And that way the contract is out there. And if there needs to be any tweaking, he says he's open to that. He just want to use his platform to help push it. Um, Cause a huge, um, a huge organization that's behind this. As I don't know mm-hmm. you're familiar with them as um the Ados. Um, I think it's I don't know the right way to pronounce them. A D A D O S. African descendants of um enslaved folks. Right. I know they have I know they have a a shortened abbreviated pronunciation yeah, for it. A D Ados or ADOS. Yeah. So they actually are I'm 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 confident based on the rhetoric on some of these interviews. Mm-hmm. And even the interview he had with um, Antonio, who was a big advocate of that group, clearly because he has a, a huge platform called um, Tone Speaks. And even him speaking about reparations, I was like, oh, I think that's who Q reached out to or that's who he's working with. You can tell by the rhetoric. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I, I think it was a scapegoat situation. Yeah. But. One thing that I do agree with in a general sense is what we spoke about earlier in this interview. We do need to have some kind of plan. Right. And to just to, I, so I get what you're saying. Um, I agree with you about the ice cube thing because again, like, you know, I don't, even though we're in the era of cancel culture and people get, especially with this electric stuff, you will get canceled real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like you said, Ice Cube, like he, he has been a major part of black culture as far as, um, how we grew up in the type of our, our pop culture. But, um, I, so I, I wouldn't write him off. Like you said, he didn't, um, necessarily, he never endorsed either candidate, but, I kind of see where the Democrats are coming from as far as you're not, I feel like you're not, he's not giving a strong enough position. Like he's saying, okay, I put this plan out. It's for anybody to listen to. At this point, we don't need you to, I don't need anybody to be told on the fence. I need you to be hard and clear. Okay. You put this plan out. Both sides reached you. Who are you voting for Q? That's, that's what we need to know at this point and why. Like, I get it. And no, nobody don't owe us, um, you know, who they're voting for. But I feel like especially with influencers, don't don't like beat around the bush. Don't don't give us no take um, tiptoe in the fence or sideline type of deal and trying to cover yourself. Like if you're if you're for black people, because to honestly, at, at this point, 
It's like it's not even enough enough to be anti-racist no more. Like you need to be pro-black. So if you're pushing this black agenda and you're saying that this is the plan for us and you're coming out as a spokesperson for that, just stand behind that 100 percent and give us the full story. Don't give us bits and pieces. This side contacted me, this side contacted me, and this is what it is, and, and now your hands are just empty. No, well, okay, so what side do you stand on? If you're going to use your influence, then use your influence. Mm-hmm. I get that. And I think that he was asked that, um, I don't think it was, I think it was, I don't think it was Roman. It wasn't that he did so much interviews. I think it was CNN, matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he was asked that. He was like, do you know? He said, I think at that point, he said he still doesn't know yet. He said in every election, he's voted Democratic. But he felt like you the same man who vote after who wrote after police or, you know, you was NWA and all that. Like I, what I'm saying is be I need you to be just as vocal for your advocacy about this plan and what people are saying to you or not saying to you. And, and I think that's a that's a fair point. One thing I will say about it is his mentality on it. I think it's going to be the mentality in the future, though. There is a certain lack of trust for either parties when you think about mm-hmm. it. There, yeah, are, there, are, there are a lot of people that feels like, you know what, at the end of the day, Republican, Democrat, who cares? We just want things to be held because voting for Democratic it hasn't really helped the wealth gap in terms of black Americans compared to white Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a fair point that was brought up. That, he, that was a big talking point. And I actually raised my eyebrow at that. I think he was on Fox Soul when he was speaking to like Claudia Jordan, Vivica Fox, um, mm-hmm. which was a horrible interview, by the way, but that's neither here or there. Um, <laughs> that's neither here or there. Who am I to compete right after starting? But <laughs> I, one thing he said was to all the things we voted for, we're to the wealth gap from back then to now. How has that changed when we had other people in the office? So that part, I, I, I feel he's coming from. I feel where you're coming from, too, and I still feel that way as well. Not more so about him letting it be known, but who he's standing for. But the yeah. part that you said that was important was there's no there's no need to, to give credence to a side that is bigger than just economic gain. Like this is someone mm-hmm. that doesn't do anything to flame the fires of hatred. Yeah. Um, so that part I understand as well there's a bigger picture than that um, when I wanted to get examples of that though and just you know I gotta be fair being bipartisan with that being said Lyndon Johnson who was I believe the president took over after Kennedy got assassinated mm-hmm. he actually wrote a lot of, of bills I think more importantly the Civil Rights Act which is huge for black America and he was a known Dixie Crap and a known racist. He even called it the N-word bill. I'm going to edit it because mm-hmm. I don't know if I can say the word. He was a known racist, but he was pressured. And basically they had a plan back then and he was able to pass some bills to benefit the community. Yeah. Also, as another example, some people say Ice Cube was a sellout for even entertaining the visit with the campaign. Well, there was also someone named Malcolm X that didn't meet with the KKK in terms of when he was a nation of Islam. And at that point, they were huge on having like a, a segregation type of mentality where we do for ourselves. I'm on this side. Y'all on this side. 
he actually did meet with the KKK on behalf of the Nation of Islam. Um, so those are important examples. And I think mm-hmm. that's another way of looking at it, not to change anyone's minds, but yeah, that is there. The, that has happened before. And I, I think that's the mindset. I can't speak for him, but I think that's the mindset that he's on. They're all, right. cro- um, they're all crooked. Every miles yeah, get out, right. we can get out of it. Uh, yeah, I get that. Um, and I agree with that. Um, I think, so I don't know if you follow, um, Charleston activists that work, Tamika Gadsden, um, but she is very pivotal in, in this area. She's, um, identifies as a historian at times. Mm-hmm. And one thing, um, she says is that, you know, like, and kind of the, to the point that you were making earlier about the presidential election versus the local election type of deal, mm-hmm. regardless of who's in office, we're still going to have white supremacy. We're still going to have this patriarch system or, you know, we're still going to have discrimination and racism on a federal, state and local level. Like this is the fight does not stop. Um, and, and some some of these things are going to take time to be accomplished no matter who does it and why they do it? Like you said, it, it could just be under pressure or let's give a, give a little to get a, to get back a lot type of deal. Um, so I'm not I definitely am not discrediting what anybody does or why they do what they do, um, which is why I said, like, we kind of have to slow down on this whole cancel culture um, type of deal just just from what we hear from social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so I completely agree with you on on that aspect. But if to kind of go back to your point, like this black agenda should be kind of the rhetoric for the local, our local districts, our city funding and our local banks, our state banks, you know, how, how the state, um, gives out money or, um, does loans that way as well, because we still got to hold somebody accountable to get these types of things done. So even if it's not accepted on a national level, we still need to have this black agenda that's pushed on our, um, for our personal, our state and local levels. Yeah. No, I so I um went to get I asked for my absentee ballot and I never got it. And I think that this is another thing of voter suppression. So I I'm just gonna go there this week to um to to the center and vote in person. I glad you said that. I was about to go in on you. I said, wait a minute, I know you didn't say all this. Talk about something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I've been I I registered since um I requested it since when um absentee voting started since the last um the local election and then I requested it again when it first started but they keep saying that it's it's being sent out so I feel like this is another scheme that they're coming up with to try because they said like 50,000 um absentee applications have been sent that not the application my application was um done and approved they said that the ballot have been returned and I'm like 50,000 ballots have been returned back like that don't make sense. I feel like there's some other scheme going on. So I'm gonna just go there myself. Well, based on that, I'm gonna read this this quick article I saw before we got on this call. And mm-hmm. the title of it is called The Local Elections Uphill Battle. So apparently, um I think you already heard about this part where the president did deny their funding request of over twenty five billion dollars to aid in mail in voting. Um, so I'm sure that's mm-hmm. a factor. He also said mm-hmm. that he opposes giving $3.6 billion in additional election funding to states. And this has always been a struggle, apparently, according to this article. But mm-hmm. this year, local officials have only been approved for $400 million. But experts at the Brennan Center for Justice estimate that $2 billion is actually what's needed. So think about that. Only 
400 million was approved, but they actually need 2 billion. Wow. So, yeah. And that actually really encouraged me to vote in person because me being online, I was like, well, I should do absentee. But I said, you know what? After I saw his comments about the whole post, and I think the post office even put out something about they won't. I forgot what I don't want to. I don't want to misquote them, but there was a back and forth going on with the post office and mail-in ballots, and them not. Mm-hmm. It was something that was not encouraging to me, so I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna vote in person. I want to see it go through. Right. Yeah. And I and I always vote in person. Um, I think I was waiting for the ballot to come. Like I could go ahead and fill it out and drop it off at the drop box instead right. of waiting in the line to vote. Um, but I feel like this time I'm gonna just have to go and wait. But yeah, that I think, um, like you said, voter suppression is very real, especially in South Carolina. Um, and the, the whole mail crisis thing that we have at the post office is going on as well because of COVID. So yeah, I think for anybody, it'll, it's just safer to go vote in person. All right. So at this ahead. point, and yep, I agree. So two, <laughs> so two, so two ways I'm going to end this. Number one, who do you feel? That's going to win the presidential election. Like, what is your what is your gut telling you right now? I really don't have. I feel like it's so. It's going to be another close one. Mm-hmm. I honestly feel like it's going to be that same type of thing about um, the electoral electoral college is going to have to come out and say who they vote for. But um, I really don't know. I feel like they're they're both very strong candidates. I think it'll be a bigger voter turnout. But I really don't know. But again, my position is um, I'm going to do my duty to vote. I'm going to encourage people to vote. But at the end of the day, we still will have white supremacy, discrimination, you know, unjust um, police killing black people. So we we got to fight on that level right. as well. Right. And I said two things. I lied. So <laughs> I had to talk about something else. It's I think it's funny, right, because especially in South Carolina, a certain representative um, member in South Carolina has become famous for all the wrong reasons. Um, you know, we're very familiar with him holding a seat in a, you know, a high position for quite some time, for about 25 mm-hmm. years, I believe. And mm-hmm. this man has gotten donkey of the day twice. Shout out to Charlemagne the God, who came from Berkeley, <laughs> the same county that I grew up in, so he knows. Um, shout out to D.L. Hughley, who gave him his flowers on the radio about how he felt about him. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm referring to this very tight race between um, Jamie Harrison and Lindsey Graham. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the spotlight in South Carolina for this particular seat been so viral. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like there's a change, not really trying to Jenks or trying to put something out there for this particular situation, but do you think change in South Carolina is coming? Like, do you feel like there's a shift? Yes, I really think so because I think, um, like how I said, growing up, I think um, our the older generation in black in the black community, they may have voted and you know participated, but it wasn't it was a private thing, and in jobs, it's it's a private thing. But this particular generation, we are very outspoken. We have our social media, like everybody. We know people. We we ask questions directly. Um, based well, we indirectly send posts. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, you know, we kind of know where our friends and our you know the people that we look out for that we know are familiar with. We know what they stand for. So with that being said, I feel like 
one in Charleston, South Carolina, black people are becoming more vocal in who they're voting for as as well as like different policies and laws and where they stand on certain things. Some people are still kind of ignorance is bliss mentality, but um, white people also like they're listening to their black friends. They're seeing the protests of their precious King Street in Hall's Chop House having to close down or certain rest. They no longer have Sephora or whatever stores or whatever, you know, so like they're seeing an impact there. Um, and I feel like that's bringing more awareness to where a lot of the white people who may have been more quiet about it. They're now like, oh, I, I see where I where my black friends or my person of color friends. I see where they're talking about. So now I'm going to vote this way. I'm going to be more more understanding and more progressive. Like they make a lot of mistakes along the way. But, I, but they're um, it's performative for the most part. Um, it's like gaslighting. But they I think they want to prove. And so they want to prove like, OK, I came down here for the prettiness of the state and I want to keep the peace and, you know, that type of thing. So I feel like and I'm speaking very general and very obnoxious. But I feel like I feel like that's that's what's going to kind of push the change. It's like it's, it's going to be that um, more of us coming together because Charleston is very like, um, let's be let's be unified. Um, besides, like, you know, some some of some of the people who are very outspoken. So I think there is going to be a change. So in a weird, so in a weird roundabout way, gentrification can actually help. The black struggle in South Carolina, in a sense. I don't know if it'll help. Um, I think it'll just be more. I mean, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I think the, I think um, the more that people come down, especially from like a lot of, we get a lot of people from northern states or mm-hmm. um, who come to Charleston and you know decide to stay here, mm-hmm. and so they already kind of have a different mentality than the the southern the old southern racist mentality. Good old boys, call, call, call yeah. Good old boys, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have a different mentality than good old boys, and so they are they already kind of come here like, okay, let me pick my side. So even though they're even though they're causing a problem with gentrification, I think with voting, um, that's going to be a bigger turnout for us. Nice. So last but not least, of course, I appreciate you coming on this show. But if you had <laughs> to tell that one person who is unsure about voting and it's not too late to vote, what would you tell that person mm-hmm. right now? Who's unsure? Um, who's saying voting doesn't count? Ah, it's hard to like wrap that up in a sentence because I need to understand where they're coming from with the not voting. I I get it. I get the whole it doesn't matter if I vote type of thing. I've had that conversation several times. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I mean, I hate to sound cliche, but I think it's the best answer. Like if your vote didn't matter, then why do they pander to us so much? Why do they want your vote so badly? Why do they suppress your vote so badly? So with me always as a resistor, it's just like, okay, well, if you don't want me to do this, or if you're trying to prevent me from doing this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out a way to do it. And that's like my stance on it. But I would kind of have to see where that person's coming from as to why, because honestly, I, I get it. I get feeling like this is a waste of my time. I got to take time off my job. But at the same time, everything is political. Your job is political. Your, the teachers are political. Who teach your kids? Like everything is political. And, and at the very least, all you can do is like vote for who you want to Who's going to be making these decisions for you? Got it. So at the end of the day, our ancestors sacrificed for the right to vote and the right to not vote. Mm-hmm. So as long as you and, understand, yeah. 
as long as you understand that sacrifice, then you're not spitting in that sacrifice's efforts. Um, it's not in vain, basically. Yeah, so absolutely. That, yep. So with that being said, Ashley, this was actually a very good first episode. This is, I, I feel pretty <laughs> good. I don't know about you. I feel pretty good. I feel good. I can't wait to see uh, what you edit out because I'm hoping you take a lot of stuff out. <laughs> oh, there we go. So, so on that note, I want to thank Ashley for coming aboard and providing her insights. She did not disappoint. This is the first and hopefully not the last episode of Breaking Generation Curse. And we will awesome. have our voices be heard from now to November 3rd. We're just going to wait and see what yeah. happens. And I hate to quote this person, but I feel like it's going to apply to us as well. We are coming to make change. So stand back and stand by. Mm-hmm. That is all. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. We'll talk, we'll talk shortly, okay? Okay. This message. It's beat.